basically I got to the point where I was comfortable doing the work. I'd been there for 10 years and I was just ready for a change. And I really decided that I wanted to be um, independent and I wanted to work for who I wanted to work for. And I wanted to work on topics that I wanted that were important to me. And so I, um, early on, my slogan was for my business was GIS solutions for a healthy planet. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Kurt Mankey. He's been on the show a couple of times before and the last two times we were talking about the QGIS project and we're talking about some tools within the QGIS ecosystem. This time around I thought it'd be really interesting to have Kurt on again and walk us through what it's like to start your uh, your own consultancy. So Kurt has been running his own business, uh, working as a self-employed person in the geospatial GIS world for some time now. And I, I think, sort of given the situation that we're all in, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market at the moment. I thought it would be great if we could have someone on like Kurt who's been successful in this, who, who's done this, and sort of walk us through what it's like, what we should be thinking about, uh, how we should prepare ourselves, and try and find out out if this is something for you. Um, so I've got a few more interviews lined up like this and my hope is to just give people an understanding of what it's like to start your own business, to be your own boss, to be a self-employed GIS geospatial consultant. So th- this is a huge topic and I realized when I was listening back to this episode, when I was editing it, that we sort of brushed over a whole bunch of really interesting points. So I'm going to come back at the end of the episode, at the end of the interview, and just you know add, add a few things that I think might be really helpful and, and try and summarize things a little bit for you. So stick around for that. Just before we get started today, a big thank you to our sponsor, Mapsimize. Mapsimize is adding spatial relationships spatial functionality to customer relationship systems so you know this is the things that we're used to seeing just in terms of customer management so analyzing your data on a map seeing spatial relationships between existing customers using spatial relationships to find potential customers and they have a whole bunch of of really great integration so you can integrate this with salesforce it could be your sugar CRM system that you plug into this. It could be MailChimp, it could be .digital, it could be Excel. And yeah, I think this is a really cool idea doing this. I mean, why not? Why can't your customer management system benefit from spatial relationships? It seems to make really good sense to me. Anyway, if that's something you might be interested in, check them out, Mapsimize, there'll be a link in the show notes. Thanks very much. Okay, let's get on with the interview. Kurt, welcome back to the podcast. This is going to be your your third episode on the Mapscaping podcast, so thanks for that. But for those people that haven't met you before, that haven't listened to one of your episodes, and I'll be linking them in the show notes so people can easily find them if they're interested, could you just perhaps take a couple of minutes just to introduce yourself and and give us a bit of an idea of what your background is in in GIS and geospatial? Sure. So um, I run my own GIS consulting business, Bird's Eye View, and I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the U.S., and I've been doing GIS for a little over 20 years at this point. And um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into all the, the bits of um, thoughts around my business. Um, as most self-employed people, I tend to wear a lot of hats, as they say. So I also, um, I'm an author. I've written several QGIS books we can link to in the show notes, I imagine. Um, I also teach quite a bit. So I, I do a, a variety of tasks as part of my business. 
So I'd like to go right back to the start. And and you mentioned that you run your own consultancy. So you're, you're self-employed and you're doing GIS. We, we understand that much. Can you give us an understanding of what it was that sort of pushed you to become self-employed? Was there, did, did you see an opening in the market? Was it, were you just wanting to have more control over your work-life balance? What was it that made you interested in, in running your own consultancy? Yeah, it was really more B, wanting to be more independent and have more control over what I worked on. I, I worked, uh, my first main job in GIS was for um, a business that runs out of the University of New Mexico here called the Earth Data Analysis Center. And it's a consultancy. They, they do federal and state contracts. So they're like a soft money business that operates out of the university. And that's really where I cut my teeth in GIS and was where I first became exposed to open source solutions early on. And basically I got to the point where I was comfortable doing the work. I'd been there for 10 years and I was just ready for a change. And I really decided that I wanted to be um, independent and I wanted to work for who I wanted to work for, and I wanted to work on topics that I wanted that were important to me. And so, I um, early on, my slogan was for my business was GIS solutions for a healthy planet. So I've always wanted to be someone who applied tools, uh, these geospatial tools, to things that would make the planet a better place. You know, environmental conservation, public health. Um, I never really wanted to be involved in you know, mining and development and those kinds of things. It's just my personal taste. So I set out my business so that I could choose clients and choose topics that I wanted to work on, basically. Okay, so, so that sounds like a pretty amazing position to be in where you can choose topics and choose clients. But you, you had a ton of experience in the field. You said you'd been working in GIS Geospatial for 10 years before you did that. Um, can you give us an idea of where your first jobs came from? So how did you get these jobs? Yeah, so I was always involved with and interested in conservation. GIS was actually my second career. I, I was an archaeologist for um, eight years before I went back and got a master's in geography and got involved in GIS. And and doing archaeology, I, and one of the things that happened to me was uh, these moments being out in the, the desert in New Mexico, um, surveying for archaeology and and because a pipeline was going to go in or something and i had some experiences that were kind of devastating where i would see these the this mass development happen where a bulldozer would just come through and um prepare the right-of-way for a pipeline and destroy everything in its path and it was crushing so i started getting involved in uh, with some of the local nonprofits who were working on wildlife and and wilderness issues and conservation and I uh, soon realized that they didn't have anyone making maps for them or doing spatial analysis. And so I started kind of moonlighting after a few years at the university with these groups just on the weekend, just because I was interested in it and said, well, I could, I could do this for you. I could do that for you. And it evolved into a side business while I was at the university. And so when I decided to leave and head out on my own, I already had relationships with clients that I had been starting to work with. And I really felt like I, I had a niche that I could, could work in and, and find more work if I applied myself to it full time. 
I think that is a really, really good strategy. But I, I'm curious because I think a lot of people see mapping as something that, that almost anyone can do, right? So if you need a map, you can go to Google Map, Google Maps, make it there. There's lots of other kinds of software with without too much sort of technical understanding, you can quickly make these maps. So I, I guess my question is here, do you still see that opportunity out there in the market to, 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 to do this kind of work for um, a, a particular niche? Now, given that every Everybody or lots and lots of people have access to, to mapping software now. Yeah, it certainly has changed because when I was coming up, there were more people who were just GIS specialists um, working. And now I think it's more common for people to use GIS as part of their job. Um, but I still think that there's plenty of mapping to do in the world. And I, I, I see no shortage of work from my perspective. So I wouldn't discourage anyone from trying to get involved. There's the tools change constantly, the data changes, um, things become, you know, we get more more capabilities, but the, the work is still needing to be done. And so I, I think there's still plenty of need in the world for, for more consultants out there to do this kind of work. So one of your initial approaches was that this moonlighting that you were doing for these organizations, just trying to help them out out of your own interest, and it sort of evolved into you know a paid opportunity for you. What other kinds of things have, have you done in, in, in terms of networking? What's worked for you in terms of marketing your skills to the business world? So really, um, I might be unique in this way, but I've never done a lot of direct marketing. It's almost all my work has come from word of mouth. Um, and I, I realize that that's a little disingenuous because I have written books in the last five years and those have given me a lot of um, national and international notoriety to some degree. People, when you publish a book, people become more aware of your name. And that has led to opportunities in education and, and doing training. And I, I do also spend a bit of time on Twitter and LinkedIn, but honestly, it's very rare that I see work coming directly from those platforms. I'm, I focus on open source tools. And so I'm one of the few US consultants listed as a QGIS support company in the US on the QGIS webpage. And so I people find me that way because I'm one of the few Americans on there. So Amer American companies looking for support will kind of send me a cold email without knowing who I am just from that and inquire if, if it might be, I might be available to work with them. But I, I've never actually advertised anywhere. So um, I've really relied on just forming relationships with people, doing good work. And it seems to me that if, as long as I'm doing quality work and have a good reputation, then I get recommended to people by word of mouth. People leave one organization and join another one and then hire me from that new organization. So I've ha had a lot of that kind of thing happen through the years. If I was looking to, to get started in this today, leave my job tomorrow and, and start being a freelancer, you know, open up the doors and say, okay, now I am available for hire kind of thing. What, what kind of strategies would you recommend to, to someone like me? Should I uh, start blogging? Should I invest heavily in social media? Should I be going to conferences? Um, do I need some kind of online profile? Uh, could you make some sort of recommendations for us? Yeah, I'll certainly try. And, and you know, I get this question a lot. I get literally monthly uh, people asking me how they can do what I do. And and honestly, I, I really have come across this organically myself. So I don't have a formula, you know, but um, I think one thing that I often 
tell people is that, you know, these geospatial tools are just that they are simply tools. And so they are applied to some industry or some, some arena. And so I think having a niche is really important. So if you, you need to know how to work with geospatial tools, but you also need to know something about the industry that you're applying them to. And once, you know, so if you're going to work in forestry, for example, then you meet some foresters and, and, you know, you can eventually perhaps start contracting with that, that industry um, because you're, an, you're a semi-expert in that as well as the geospatial tools. I also tell people that I think one of the things to realize before you become self-employed is that you need to be comfortable multitasking because a lot of my day is filled with non-billable hours, as I call them, things I can't invoice a client for. So answering emails, talking on the phone, writing invoices, writing proposals, giving estimates, working on social media, uh, doing IT chores, you know, ma maintaining my computer, uh, reg regular office stuff, maintaining, maintaining my website. You know, so all, all these things, you know, I, I am doing in addition to the GIS. So you have to be kind of comfortable doing uh, all of those business related activities on top of the the GIS, which is probably like me, your, your major interest. And I think you, you summed this up really nicely in, in one of the emails. So before we had this conversation, we sent a few emails back and forth. And, and in one of them, you said, sometimes I'm a cartographer, sometimes I'm a spatial analyst, sometimes I'm a trainer, sometimes I'm an author, and, and sometimes I'm a blogger. And for me, that, you know, just really highlights that you're doing all of these things here. I think you carry on actually, and you say, I'm also an accountant, I write proposals i'm a business manager i need to manage budgets and i'm a data manager as well and i think that's really important for people to understand that you're not just going to be sitting at a desk doing gis doing one thing there's all these other things around running your own business and being a freelancer that are incredibly important yeah i think that's true in fact i've started um mondays recently have just turned into communication days for me where i spend all monday pretty much responding to emails that have come in over the weekend and or, or late last week, putting together estimates or proposals, you know, and, and things like that. So um, I can spend easily like I usually want one day a week just just doing that and getting caught up. Um, and that's kind of just the reality. And I would say another skill that people need to develop, and this happens obviously with more experience. Um, but the main thing I'm asked to do from prospective clients or existing clients is to give them an estimate for a particular task. And this involves a lot of communication. So I think you have to be a very good communicator because oftentimes, you know, I'm the geospatial expert and my client might be involved in law or transportation or forestry or, or who knows what. And so I have to simultaneously learn about their industry and their project and ask them lots of questions that they kind of take for granted because they're, it's their project, their, their industry. So I have to learn about that and ask them questions that I need to know so that I know what I'm getting into. But I also have to be able to translate what they're talking about into kind of geospatial tasks and then kind of do the calculus in my head um, or in a spreadsheet of how many hours that I think that will take and give them a good estimate. And then not just that, but also when in calendar time I, I can get that done for them because you really don't want to make a mistake in that area. You don't really want to get in too deep 
and sign a contract where you've vastly underestimated the amount of work that you're going to be doing or promise something to someone before you can actually get it done. So that, that, that's a really important skill to have is to be able to estimate that. And I've gotten really good at it over time, but still it's, it's kind of a challenge every time I enter a, a new arena or a new client or a new project to kind of really think about all the things I'm going to be needing to do. You know, for example, even if someone calls me up and asks me to make something that on the surface seems simple, like a, a map for, for a project, I need to start, you know, I've come up with a list of questions like what size is it going to be? How is that map going to be used? Is it going to be put on a website? Is it going to be printed? You know, who's going to be reading it? Is there wording that I'd have to be cognizant of for your, your industry or things to be avoided, you know, that, and what's the data availability, all these kind of things, even for a simple map have to be kind of vetted out before you can really, um, understand whether you should be taking this on or not. I think too, like that sounds like a really sort of simple um, exercise on on the, on the surface, making a map. But uh, I could just imagine those iterations of that same map. I mean, they could go on for all eternity. Can you just change that road color to this? Can you? The water needs a little bit uh, needs to be a little bit more blue, kind of thing. I can imagine needing to sort of have that written down, say two, three iterations. That's it, because otherwise, I mean, you could be doing that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I think that comes with experience too. And you can certainly kind of build that sort of thing into your proposal and say this, you know, for this, I'm assuming there'll be two iterations or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and if it gets beyond that, we can, might have to talk about extending the contract or what have you, but it's certainly something that you need to be thinking of ahead of time so that you don't get yourself into trouble later on down the road. And I think, you know, just being a good communicator, again, coming back to that is important so that you can kind of read people and make sure that they sound like, um, I, you know, because communication has changed a lot too in the digital world. It's, it's weird. I have now figured out that some clients prefer to communicate on WhatsApp and some want to communicate on Twitter and some want to communicate by email and some will want a phone call and some want to do a Zoom call or a Skype. And there's so many ways to communicate and people have different preferences. And so I've kind of become available by all the channels that they might be able to communicate with me on. <laughs> I love that you keep coming back to your communication because I think that this is that this is kind of the elephant in the room. This is the thing that we don't think about. This is the the huge problem that's sitting there waiting that if we're not sort of conscious of it, we could really get trapped. Um, not only in our first project, but as the project sort of develops and, and when we go looking for other projects as well. Uh, I, I want to stay with the idea of writing this proposal just for a second because for me, this sort of brings up the really obvious question, how much, how, how do I know how much to charge? What is my time worth? And for you, I'm wondering, does it depend on the project? Does it, do you charge per hour? How do you break it up and how do you justify it? Because I guess that price needs to cover all the other things you're doing around the, the actual geospatial work. Yeah. So sometimes I will basically consider the first hour on the phone or something with a client as, as free time to talk it out. Um, but then I will usually try to wrap just the time that I spent on the proposal into the budget at some point, even if the client isn't necessarily aware of it, to be honest with you, just to, to cover my own time. But in, in terms of rate, it can be tricky. Um, I have different rates for different clients. I have a nonprofit rate for nonprofit organizations. It's lower than my commercial rate for, I, I work with some fire lawyers 
um, who are going to be charging their clients more money so I can charge them more and I can use that to subsidize work I do for nonprofits and cut, cut the rate for them and give them a break. So I do a bit of that kind of calculus to kind of, you know, figure things out. And it's, but it's, it's a, a very rare that I, someone comes back to me and says it's too much, but if they do, then I'm usually consider if I can cut my rate for them or not. Um, kind of, it's kind of a, a judgment call. Um, but there are plenty of, you know, you can find threads on Reddit and GIS stack exchange, even with people talking about rates. Um, so you can kind of get a, a general idea of what you should be charging. But uh, the other thing to keep in mind with that is that consultants are kind of known to charge high hourly rates. And that's simply because you can't expect to get 40 billable hours in a week or, you know, even 30 necessarily. I would say on average, I probably get, you know, 20, 25 billable hours in a week that I can charge for. So your rate needs to be higher because you're covering for all the other operating expenses and time related to your business. So people need to keep that in mind as well when they start putting things together and what you need to make to, to live with your particular situation. I think this is a really tough situation when you're just starting out to understand what your time is worth. You know, is it worth the same as someone who's been doing this for 10 years, even though you're say, so solving the same problem for somebody? I think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. And because when you're self-employed, you're essentially working in isolation. You don't necessarily have a team around you that you can go and ask, you know, or have any colleagues in exactly the same situation where you can say, hey, what, what did you charge that guy? What, what did you charge this company? What do you think of this? And have that sort of other set of eyes that can run over your proposal first. And I think you have to be really comfortable with, um, okay, well, this is what I think today. This is what the proposal is going to look like and perhaps just learn and grow with time and experience. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously early on when people are starting out and I was no different, I was uh, charging people pretty low rates. And then I started realizing and you know, gaining confidence and, and realizing that I, I could probably raise them and I was worth it and started doing that. And I, th I think a lot of people who are doing consulting in my area will be setting people up with particular software solutions. So going into their office and um, setting people up with that uh, software a database, et cetera. And for me, I have several clients where I'm actually just their GIS person. I've been working with some clients for over 10, 15 years. And I not only do all their GIS, but I'm also their data manager. I'm, I'm archiving all their spatial data. For, for them, you know, I will actually, every year, if I need a raise, ask them, are you okay with giving me a raise to this amount for the next year and see if they're okay with it? Um, so that's one strategy I've used. Yeah. It's just being open about it. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic strategy. Um, I want to sort of move off a little bit now and talk about what, what makes a really good employer or, or a good project. Are there employers or projects uh, we should be avoiding when, when we think about, you know, taking them on in, in terms of doing consultancy work? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it all comes down to the data, like we all know in, in geospatial. So um, the data... You know, there, there are people who are not good at managing data. You know, there are people who consider, you know, a PDF, a data set, for example, um, a PDF with coordinates in it or something. And, um, you know, that, that 
it certainly can be, but it adds to the level of effort. So, you know, I, I always am curious to find out what people have um, for data when they when they want to hire me to do something so that I can kind of get a sense from where, uh, where they're coming from. And if there are any red flags if, about, um, you know, their technical capability and, and what shape their data might be in at the moment um, that might need to be included. Um, and so then, and and is that something I want to do? Some of that can be very tedious and it may just be something that I'm not interested in. And I may recommend that they, you know, might make a recommendation that they find someone else to work with. I've done that in the past. Um, but for me personally, it's got to be something that's, per I, mean, I, I have this luxury now because I, I, I feel pretty comfortable with a, a pretty steady flow of work for years. So I will, um, you know, decide if it's someone that I want to work with, if it seems like we have a, a good rapport or not. And also if it's a topic that is interesting to me or something that I know about and, and could, could really help with um, as, as a guiding post. And so there's some things where I just um, either, you know, also GIS is so varied now. There's some things that are just beyond, you know, not in my skill set, and, uh, and I, I'm not wanting to do or they, they need it to be an Esri solution and I'm an open source person and I may decline. Um, so I, I use a whole variety of criteria to ass assess whether um, someone is gonna make a good client for me based on the data, the topic, the rapport, the, the kind of software that they're looking for and, and all that kind of thing. So I can imagine if someone was starting out in the, the freelancing world, they, they would be really tempted just to take anything they could get at the start, anything, and just say yes to everything and sort of hope it works out. Do you think that that would be a good strategy? <laughs> well, uh, it depends on the person. Um, it, it certainly could work, but um, I think you have to be careful not to get... Uh, too overwhelmed and you, you, you want to be able to be in a position where you're able to actually deliver the deliverable on time and a quality that you're happy with and it's, and it's going to work. So um, I would do that up to the point, I would recommend doing that up to the point where um, I can manage it. But if it becomes unmanageable and, you're, and the work is suffering and you're, the relationships with clients are suffering, then that's not helping you. So that there's a threshold in there somewhere for everyone. And I guess that makes perfect sense. Like earlier in the conversation, you talked about one of your um, biggest sources of clients, of new work, of new projects. That was from word of mouth. So I guess if you're not producing quality, if people don't feel comfortable recommending you to a friend, to a colleague, to another business, then that's really going to hurt your business in the future. Absolutely. I think word of mouth is how many people operate who are self-employed. And um, it can be, there's no, there's no better marketing than recommendation from from one of your clients. So you've mentioned a few times now that you're an open source person. And when you look out in the market, and if we just think about open source at the moment, I'm perfectly aware we can use Esri products as well. And, but but I guess that's that's a strain on the resources, right? That's going to cost money. So if we just think about mm -hmm. open source, um, is there any reason why we couldn't take on pretty much any project out there, any GIS project? Um, you know, can you see areas where you just wouldn't touch because there is a lack of open source tools in that area? No, not at this point. Um, if I mean, it all comes down to skill, obviously, but um, there are open source solutions for everything now. Um, web analysis, cartography, um, data collection, you know, uh, database. There, there's fantastic open source tools for the whole arena. Um, the only thing I, you know, that I, I encounter resistance sometimes, or I, I actually have seen plenty of times in an, an RFP or a request for proposal where 
it's specified that Esri software is required for this. And so that's, you know, I just immediately just pass at that point. Um, but, um, and I used to joke when I, I used to have an Esri license, I maintained it for many years. And I used to joke that when I can, uh, cut this license loose, I can take a month's vacation every year due to the cost, you know? So as a self-employed person, you're probably in one of the worst situations for getting proprietary licenses because you're a for-profit. So there's usually not too many good deals coming your way because of that. You're not a, you're not a nonprofit where that, which is usually the arena that they're willing to cut people, um, breaks on. Um, and you're, you're small, you're a, a small a business as can get. And so you don't have a lot of extra resources for spending on that kind of licensing. So it can be very difficult. And I guess if you are going down that route, and I guess it's perfectly understandable to me that organizations would say, hey, that has to be compatible. What you're doing has to be compatible with the system that we've got today. That, that makes perfect sense to me. So I understand if they're using Esri software, then sure, yeah, please come with an Esri solution for us. Um, but I, I guess if you were the uh, business person, if you were the consultant, delivering that you'd have to charge accordingly accordingly look at your pricing structure and say okay well i'm using this software this costs x every month or every year whatever the the licensing is based off and add that to the price yeah absolutely i i used to do that calculus where i would say i you know i, I absolutely need to have you know the the advanced license and i i need to have uh, these extensions like spatial analyst but unfortunately, I really can't justify the 3D analyst extension, you know, and, and th those kinds of things. So um, there, there's this only, you know, a certain amount of the stack that I could afford to license myself with every year. Okay, so if I can just try and summarize the conversation so far. So um, it, it seems to me that, that you're pretty confident that there's enough niches out there for people. If you have a specialist uh, knowledge in, in forestry, I think was the example you, you, we used before. There's plenty of mapping to be done there. Uh, we know that we can network in that area. We can find people that are interested in it. We can find nonprofits. We could get in there in some way, shape or form. Um, we need to be prepared to do lots of different things. So we need to be cartographers, spatial analysts we need to be bloggers business managers and one of the most important things i think you mentioned was that ability to to create a good estimate in a project proposal and we also talked about the software so obviously esri we can we can go and buy a license if we do that we need to make sure that we're including that price in our in our estimate so we're not sort of undercharging um and we've also talked about open source tools and it seems to me that it comes down to a skill thing so we wouldn't look at a project and say we can't find a tool for that because i think we're and we both agree on this there's plenty of tools out there it's more of a skill-based decision do I have the skills to actually solve that problem? So it's looking pretty rosy, really. Like it's looking achievable. Um, so when we get these jobs now, when we get projects, when we find work, uh, are we typically working remotely or are we expected to be in the office? I, I am always working remotely. I haven't visited a client's office in many years. Uh, I know there's some people that do quite a bit of that, which I think, you know, there's a lot of diversity in this. So that it, you could be... Um, starting a business where that's that's going to be your niche, where you're going to go to people's offices and provide um, support locally for them. Um, and I, and I, you know, I've done that in the past. It's just not most of my work. So, you know, right now for me, most of my work, I don't have any even, not even in my own town. I don't even have any work in my own state. All my work is out of state and in other countries. So all my work is remote. And I think, 
that's becoming just easier and easier to do. There, there's really, it's so easy to share desktops now and get on a Zoom call and things like that with clients that it's um, that kind of remote communication is very easy to do. You can file, share, all of it. So just before we begin to round off the conversation a little bit here, I, I was wondering if you had any advice for us. So if we're out there and we're considering becoming self-employed in the geospatial industry, do you have any advice that we, that we, should really, that we really, really have to think about? Well, I guess uh, you have to consider that you're going to be largely you know, working by yourself. You may decide to rent an office or you may work at home, but you're going to be probably you know, by, you know, working by yourself, even though you'll be communicating with clients throughout the day. And so you have to be comfortable with that. You have to be you know, self-motivating um, because there's going to be no one cracking the whip in the morning for you to get to work. You have to kind of be able to do that on your own. Um, for me, paying the mortgage was always the motivator. So, you know, if I'm not working, I'm not going to pay my mortgage at the end of the month, that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I, I've always been able to do that, but, and not every, that's not what everyone's comfortable with. Some people want to be in an office surrounded by all their coworkers and communicating. And so you have to think about how that dynamic dynamic is going to feel for you. You very well may actually still be on a team. I have plenty of contracts where I'm just on a team of people collaborating remotely together. So, you know, you can, you can definitely get yourself involved in those kind of situations, but you're still going to have to be the motivator to get to behind your business and getting things done. Yeah. And I guess that raises a really interesting question for me because it's it's one thing to be self-motivated and self-driven, but a lot of people, when they, when they move away from the office environment, when they don't have those close colleagues, they really miss that sparring. They miss someone that they can ask a question. Hey, I'm doing this thing. It's not really working out for me. What do you think? I I could see that being a real problem when you're working uh, in isolation like this. How do you solve for that? What, What do you do in that situation? I, like I said, I, I have clients that I talk to every day. I also, I have other, you know, colleagues who are, um, you know, peers that I talk to regularly and can run ideas by, um, even if it's just on Twitter, that sort of thing. So there are, there are ways to still run ideas past people, get feedback and things like that. It's not, it's not difficult in our, you know, networked world. Is there any particular networks or groups that you're involved with that you could recommend to the listeners? Um, yeah. So so on Slack, for example, there's the geospatial community, and that's a really vibrant community where you can go on there and do everything from ask questions to help people. There's GIS Stack Exchange, obviously, you know, for just finding solutions to things. Depending on what, you know, what what kind of what part of the geospatial realm you're involved in. There's probably a Twitter sphere or a Reddit thread or something like that. Some places like that, that you can go and um, talk to people and get ideas. So I think there's, those are all things that I use on a regular basis. Yeah. Thanks. That sounds like some really, really good advice there. I know you started in this space a while ago, but if you had to go back in time and do everything from scratch, now that knowing what you know today, what would you do differently? Honestly, I think maybe the one thing I would do is um, decide for myself earlier on that I could um, completely make a go of it with open source software a little earlier than I did. That's kind of a minor point, but I probably would have let go of my Esri license a little sooner because I just um, I held it a little longer. I didn't even use it for the last two or three years I had it, but had it just in case. But but I, I don't really have a lot that I would change. It honestly has turned out 
better than I ever imagined. You know, early on, I remember going to my local GIS conferences and I generally, people would ask me how I was doing and they, they would seem almost general, genuinely concerned for me. Like, how's it going? And I, <laughs> I was always a little surprised because from my perspective, I was, that they saw me as kind of being in a precarious situation, being self-employed. And in my experience, you know, even people with full-time jobs, those can, they can lose their jobs just through other means as easily as I can. Um, I've seen it happen in my country, certainly. And so uh, sometimes I think that for me to be completely out of work, I'd have to have, like right now I have a dozen clients, active clients that I'm working on this month. And I'd have to have all of those fire me simultaneously, which is rather unlikely. And so I, I don't really feel like it's a precarious situation, even though it, it's a little, it, one, one thing to be aware of is that for me, it's a lit, it, if I think about it too much, it can get scary because I don't know what I'm going to be working on in February, for example. But um, six months ago, I didn't know what I was going to be doing now either. But there's always seems to be more work than not enough. It almost seems like I need to learn how to say no more than look for more work. It's always the way it's been. And so I, I guess I really feel like it's it's not, I would I would guess I would, the, the message is not necessarily to be afraid that it's a vulnerable position to be in, to be self-employed. Because if, again, if you're doing good work, people are going to hire you to work for them. I've actually gotten a lot of work for clients who have their own in-house GIS shop because I'm easy to work with and I'm fast. I, I can do, you know, I can be very agile and I can turn around a project for them pretty quickly. And their own in-house shop is harder for them to work with than it is for me. And so they hire me to do things. <laughs> and um, so, I, you know, those kind of experiences have just shown me that there's, um, it's, a, it's a good place to be in if you enjoy the work. And I, I really enjoy doing geospatial work. I love it. Even if I was independently wealthy, I think I'd still wanting, I'd still want to play with the tools and do stuff with it. I just, I like it. So that's what motivates me is just the, the pure love of doing what I do. And if that's kind of how you feel about this, I would encourage you to go for it and um, start a business because I'm sure you'll be successful. Yeah, I, I think too. I think it's really important to emphasize here that like loving the geospatial work is one thing, but I think it's really important to really look at all the stuff around it and you need to love that as well, right? That The marketing side of it, the outreach, the communication, starting a project, seeing it through to the end, that kind of thing. Because I, I see this as being not just uh, GIS work in isolation. I see it as being a package that you're, that you're delivering to, to the end user, to the consumer. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times that's what I do is I just see myself as providing a service to people and of be being of service to them. And, you know, if I come at it from that perspective, instead of trying to hustle for money and things like that, it's, it's a really pleasant place to be. And, um, you know, it's very satisfying to see a project through from the very beginning stages of first contact with the client to developing the proposal to doing all the work and having this deliverable that meets the goal at the end and having a happy client. It's a really satisfying situation to submit that invoice at the end and, and you know, know that everyone's happy. 
Yeah, yeah, I can completely imagine what that must feel like. Hey, thank you so much for your time, Kurt. Thanks for coming on again. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to sort of walk us through what, what your journey has looked like and some of the things we should be thinking about if we're considering becoming self-employed in the geospatial uh, industry. I think it's something that a lot of us have sort of played with, the idea of being self-employed, because we have the tools, we have the knowledge, and it seems to me that there's plenty of places to apply it. But there's there's you know not very many of us that, that just go out and do it so i really hope uh, this podcast episode encourages people to have a try if they're on the fence if they're thinking about it i hope they they hear your words of wisdom understand that it's possible and give it a go um before i say goodbye to you where can the listeners go if they want to reach out to you if they want to continue the conversation if they, if they want to get in touch sure my my website is www.birdseyeviewgis.com I'm also on Twitter as Geomenke. I'm pretty active there. I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, you can find books that I've written from Locate Press. Thank you very much. I, I will link those in the show notes to make it easier for people to find. Thanks again, Kurt. It's, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Kurt and I hope he's given you a lot of things to think about and I hope he's also inspired you because I, I think there's a lot of room for this kind of stuff. In just a minute I'm going to try and summarize a few key points that, that I really got out of this and, and perhaps try and add a little bit to the conversation that we didn't have time for. Um, before that though, Thank you, Mapsimize. I really, really appreciate your sponsorship. Uh, if you're sitting out there and you're wondering how you can add spatial functionality or what benefits there could be in adding spatial functionality to your customer management system, I highly recommend Mapsimize. They've been on the show before. Alistair is a really great guy and he, he's got a ton of experience doing this. Check out episode 67 and the name is Mapsimize. Again, there'll be a link in the show notes. If you're interested, just, just click through. So a couple of things that I want to, to mention here in, in this little sort of summary section here is that Kurt had had 10 years experience. So that 10 years is a long time. There's plenty of time to do a lot of networking. It's plenty of time to, to gather experience. And, and by experience, I mean, so what is it like to work on, on a GIS, a geospatial project? What does it look like from start to finish? The idea phase, the communication with, with the client, the, the back and forth that has to happen while you agree on what, what is the target? What, what are the, the bite-sized chunks we can break this project up into? What does the result look like? How do we know we're finished? All that kind of stuff and, a, and of course wrapping that up in an, in an estimate. Everybody wants to know you know what is this going to cost, how long, is gonna, how long is it going to take, what is involved and Kurt had a ton of experience doing this but this of course begs the question so what do I do if I don't have 10 years of experience? Well one thing you could do is start by helping people out, getting involved, volunteering. Now this is of course a privileged situation to be in to be able to volunteer your time but we also need to recognize that volunteering gives us leverage. It, it gives us experience that we can leverage later on. It lets us build networks that we can leverage later on. It lets us build connections that can also help us get to where we want to go. So volunteering can be a two-way street, but perhaps you should think very clearly about who and why you volunteer but, but before you do it. So some things I did when I was at university. I finished a, a practical lab one semester and the next year I volunteered as, as a to tutor that lab. 
Now, I used to be a an outdoor guide, so I'm actually trained in, in rock climbing and whitewater kayaking. That was my career path for quite some time. And while doing that, we learned a really, really simple rule. And the rule is you don't know anything until you have to teach it to somebody else. Teaching it to somebody else forces you to understand it from a lot of different angles, and it forces you to be able to communicate it in a lot of different ways. And, and this is what I got out of, of tutoring in the labs. I also went to professors, to, to lecturers, and said, hey, how can I help you? You know, And they had interesting projects to work on. Uh, I got a lot of experience, and of course, I could leverage their networks when I was finished. Maybe you're not a university, uh, but I'm sure that you have a sports team somewhere. I'm sure that you are passionate about some some activity, uh, perhaps a scouting group. Can you teach there? Can you help them there? I, I often see uh, huge data companies, and they have all this amazing data, you know, geospatial, spatially enabled data, and they have no clue what to do with it. They know they can sell it on. They know they can do analysis with it. But nobody's using this data and making amazing visualizations for them. When you think about these companies, they they need exposure like everybody else. So Tim O'Reilly once famously said that our enemy is not piracy, it's obscurity. And until these companies can show people what is possible with their data, they have that obscurity problem. Perhaps you could help them out. Perhaps you could take their data and make some amazing visualizations, work with them and like solve your own obscurity problem by doing that. This creates leverage. Uh, helps you build your online profile. You know, th these are things, these are examples of your work that you can point to and say, hey, I worked with company X, we did this together, this was the result, perhaps I could help you out with something similar. So one, one of the big problems with this approach is that it involves you going to someone and asking them. And, and that could be really difficult because those people that you're going to, they might not know that they need help yet. So there, there's that education to, there's that education problem that you have to overcome and, and this can be pretty pretty daunting at times um, so perhaps if you're looking for a place where people already know they have problems that need to be solved and they understand that it's your skills that can solve them try looking at some of the online platforms uh, and an online platform that I've worked on and also hired people on is called Upwork so go and check it out uh, make a profile there, it costs nothing, and even if you don't apply for jobs there, have a look and see how other people are applying for jobs. Have a look and see what their online profiles look look like, especially the successful people. See what they're charging, understand what problems people are trying to solve on those platforms, and you'll start to see some trends. And if nothing else, this will help you create your own online uh, profile. And when I'm talking about online pro profiles, just to be clear, I'm not talking about LinkedIn. I'm talking about your own website, something that you own, that you control, and that you can point people towards where there's no algorithm getting in the way. And you can say, this is mine. I did this. Here are examples of my work. I think this is going to be increasingly important going forwards. So another thing that stuck out for me in the conversation with Kurt was that he niched down. So so I think in the in the interview, the example he gave was if you're interested in forestry, go and do GIS, solve geospatial problems in the forestry industry. Find people, connect with them there, network there, and you know be an expert in that field. And I think this is really, really important to have a sort of a niche, especially at the start. Don't try and solve every geospatial problem for everyone, but but be specific. Find something that you're actually interested in and go there and start there. Find an organization, find a 
group. Find somebody who needs help and, and go to them first. Again, if they're not doing something already, then you're going to have a, an education piece there that can be pretty hard going to try and convince somebody that, hey, we need to do this thing here. But perhaps you can see a problem with what they're doing. Perhaps they're not doing or there's a better way of doing things. That would be amazing for them. If you showed up and said, hey, I noticed that you're doing it like this. Well, there's some other technologies out there that could be better. There's a way of implementing. Can we work together? Can we solve these problems? Can we make things better? I think that would be a really, really good approach. But being specific about it, being specific about your niche, I think is going to be incredibly important. So the, the last idea I want to share with you that might help you out, that might help you gain some experience and some exposure, help build up your, your profile online, is the idea of working in public. So a while back, I interviewed a guy called Craig Taylor. He makes these incredible visualizations. They're absolutely stunning. And what he does with each one is he experiments with it. So you can see this sort of trail of experimentation. If you go to his Twitter profile, you can see, I tried this, I'm tweaking that, I'm doing that. And what he is doing is he is learning in public. He's gathering feedback. He's posting on Twitter. He's posting on Reddit. And people, are, sometimes they're brutal. They say, hey, that sucks. And, you know, and then he has to go, why does it suck? What is it about it that you don't like? How can I do it better? This is also a way of contributing to the community, right? Because you're learning with everybody then. It's building up his profile. It's helping him understand what people like and what people don't like. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant strategy. And then, of course, you're, you're also you're documenting the journey. Okay, so when, when Craig posts on Twitter, you can see where he started off. Okay, I tweaked this parameter here. And you can see the progress he makes. Twitter might not be your platform, but the idea here is that we, you're learning, you're doing something, you're putting it out into the world, you're getting feedback on it, you're doing an iteration, and you're making it better, and you're coming back and doing it again and again and again until you get it right. This will help build up a following. It'll help build up an audience. It'll let you know what people like, what they don't like. It'll create a body of work that you can point to when you apply for a job, when you ask someone for employment, say, hey, I've done this thing here. This is what it looks like. This is a record of my experience. And if you think about it, this is the exact same strategy that I'm using with the podcast. I am learning in public. I am working in public. I am clearly not an expert on all the topics I cover on the podcast, but I do a pre-interview with every guest and then I do research around the topic. And sometimes I make mistakes during the episodes and I apologize for that. But the idea here is that I'm learning in public, I'm teaching myself and I'm trying to take you with me on the journey. At the same time, I'm documenting my progress. You might also have noticed that at the start of every podcast episode, I say that this is a podcast for the geospatial community. And, and this is me niching down. This is me creating something for a specific someone. This is not for everybody. This is for you. This is for the geospatial community. And I think as you head out into the world and think about who you are trying to serve and how you are trying to serve them, I think it will really help you out to be specific about about the problems you're trying to solve and who you're trying to solve them for. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you for listening to my rant. I am incredibly passionate about starting new things, about entrepreneurship, about business in the geospatial world. I think there is so much opportunity. The long tail of geospatial is incredibly long and the, the, yeah, there's a ton of opportunity. If you are starting something new, if you need help with this kind of thing, if you, are, if you think that I can help you let me know, get a hold of me. I can't help everyone, but maybe I can help you. So 
please let me know. I would love to hear from you. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. It's much appreciated. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You can find me, just look for Mapscaping. And uh, yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to join the mailing list. This is a great way of us to communicate together without an algorithm getting in the way of that communication. So reach out. I would love to hear from you. And we'll talk again next week. Bye.